Uh, Father, we, we're grateful for the Bible. Um, we so badly need you to make yourself known to us. Uh, we'd never guess you out. Um, we'd never uh, have imagined the salvation uh, that you would have um, that you would have uh, made possible for us in Christ. Uh, and so we need uh, your word um, in the pages of the Bible. Uh, to make your truth known to us. And we pray that you would also grant to us your Holy Spirit to understand them, uh, both now as we read and then as Luke comes and we think about them together. Uh, Father, would you, would you help us to see things that we've never seen before? Uh, would you remind us of things that we've seen before and forgotten? Or would you just press something on us um, again uh, in a particularly vivid uh, way as we understand more of uh, all that you've accomplished in Christ. Uh, we ask in his name. Amen. If you want to follow along with the reading, um, the Black Bible is in front of you, and it can be found on page 1219. One Peter chapter one. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God of and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of the Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them uh, that they were not serving themselves but you in the things that um, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Okay, so as um, Steve said, I'm going to be just um, focus on verses 3 to 5 in that first chapter. On the back of here, there's um, some room for some notes. And if um, you want to follow, um, then I'll be going through this uh, to help actually guide you through. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how much of the Olympics you've watched or you've been um, listening to. I've certainly had enough time to be watching a lot and listening to a lot of it. I don't know what your favourite moment might be. Uh, for me, um, it isn't actually one of the Team GB's uh, many gold medals. It's actually um, Bert Lacoste <coughs> and his interview with BBC. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but if not, it's worth um, looking up. So Bert Lacoste is father of Chad Lacoste. Uh, he beat Michael Phelps in the 200 metre butterfly, um, the great My- Michael Phelps. And in this interview, um, it's an amazing thing to watch. It's just an outpouring of, of what I would say would be, be almost pra- would be praise and almost worship for his son. He says um, that his son is unbelievable at least seven times. He repeatedly tells him, or the, the interviewer, look at his son, he's beautiful. And he says, I love you, in front of the nation. Now, if this is... Uh, what a loving father does when he sees his son um, win a, a gold medal in the Olympics. Uh, what should our response be um, when we see what God has done? Uh, in this passage, we see um, Peter's response. Um, and the first thing um, is this about worship. Um, so as we come tonight, I'll just start this so I don't go on too long. I can see. Um, I'd like us to, to answer this question or to think on this question. Um, how good is God? Um, for us this evening, that might be a difficult question to, to answer and pose us and think about. But we know that the Bible speaks into all areas of life and it speaks now and it speaks to us um, this evening. So in verse 3, if you look down at verse 3 uh, with me, Peter opens this section with, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he opens in praise and worship. If Peter, uh, when he sees that we've been born again, that Jesus has been raised to life, and we're given a living hope and provided with an imperishable inheritance, his first response is to praise and worship. Then Ours too, when we look at these verses, 
surely is to, to praise and worship. Now, there's three things I will go through um, as we look at this together and think about how God is good. And we'll think about what he's done in the past, uh, what he's doing in the present, and what he's doing or will do in the future. Uh, but through it all, I hope we have this attitude of praise and worship that Peter does. Um, I don't wish this to be uh, a lecture, but a way in which we might together praise our God and Father. I'd like us to think of um, worshipful preaching. Um, If you come and you think maybe half the time is worship through singing and prayers, and half the time is just preaching, then I would say that that's the wrong attitude. We want worshipful singing, and we want worshipful preaching. Uh, And that's not just for me. Um, We aim to worship from beginning to end, and that's all of us. I think we can fail in those things. We can sing without worshipping, and I can preach without worshipping. But if we are to worship, then our minds understand something of the wonder, of the awe, of the majesty, or of the beauty of our God. The heart kicks in with a feeling of maybe brokenness, wonder, gladness, admiration, and maybe gratitude. And that causes us to act. It may be our lips proclaiming, as Peter does here, blessed be God, oh blessed and praised, honor and glorify God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Or it may cause us to pour out our blessings in other ways. But hopefully we will be worshipping as I preach now. You see, if a pundit had seen Chad Lacoste finish that race uh, and you'd asked him to give his impression, well, he might have said, look at his strength, look at his technique, look at his mental toughness. But not like his father would he say, I love him. He may have understood that this is a great swimmer, but it hasn't hit his heart in the same way. I hope that uh, as I preach this evening that um, these truths are understood in our minds, but they impact our hearts and maybe cause us to, to give blessing and praise and worship from our lips. So that we don't come away and think, isn't it great that God has done X, Y, and Z? But that we truly praise him. Just as I imagine Peter, as he wrote this, he might have had to put his pen down, I guess, but bring his arms up in praise and worshiping God as he writes this first bit. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'd like us to keep that in mind as we, we go through um, what has God done in the past? God has caused us, uh, you'll see in verse 3, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. So what is it to be born again to a living hope? It is a complete change. We were 
spiritually dead, and now we are alive. We have been completely transformed. That is what God has done for us through the death of Jesus Christ. Maybe we don't exult like Peter does because maybe we don't fully believe this or fully understand it. Um, For us to fully understand it, we need to know we had no existence as his children. As it says in John 3 verse 6, that which is born of flesh is just flesh. But that which is born again of the spirit is spirit. We need to know we had no living spiritual existence. We were what a human father and mother could, and common grace could make of us. But then God came in and caused us to be born again. He awakened a new life, the life of faith and hope in God, the life of a spirit within us. You know, during this Olympics, there will be those whose lives have been completely changed. I can imagine Mo Farah won't be able to walk down the streets without being stopped, asked for his autograph, high-fived, harassed. David Reducher, the greatest athlete not to be known, is now on the mouths and lips of many millions of people. Or the quiet cyclist Jason Kenny, who would rather keep himself to himself, will no doubt be caused and be wanting and pestered for interviews constantly. Well, however the great the changes in their lives from now as they go forwards, they'll still be the same on the inside. They'll still be the same person on the inside. Uh, but we as, Christ- as Christians, there is a complete change. The old is dead and was dead, but now there is life. You see, there is a complete transformation. And there's also another big difference, actually, with those athletes. Um, if we are to look at them, we can't doubt, can we, that those athletes have worked incredibly hard and their efforts deserve them to have won their medals. Even Usain Bolt has to train sometime, I'm sure. But Peter here, he is in no doubt that it's not our efforts that earn us this new life. You see, it says it is according to his great mercy that he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It's not through our efforts, but it is God himself who has caused this new birth. You know, your own physical birth, I'm sure you'd make no claim to have an influence on that. And it is the same with our spiritual birth. God caused us to be reborn spiritually through his great mercy. And Peter is moved by how merciful God is to give us this new life. I think that's one of the hardest things we find as a Christian is that we so often want to do things ourselves. Um, Quite recently I've been caused to think uh, long and hard about many of the things that I 
I do, and many of the things that I would, would like to change. And uh, one of the things I, I did is I, I thought, uh, I need to make a, a to-do list of the things I need to change. And uh, I started to go about doing this, and then I was caused to, to pause and thought, actually, I need to, to change this. I need to change this to a list that is for God to change in me that my, I might have the strength to do. So often we want to do things in our own strength, but we need to remember there's a Christian, the greatest thing that we need has already been done for us, not through our own efforts, through, through God himself coming into this world. I want us to think of another great truth. And that's what God promises for the future. Um, Peter continues in this vein of reminding us that it is not us, but it is God that gives, is the great giver. Another great reality that hits or has gripped Peter here is that God promises an inheritance to his newborn children. God is the giving father, and God is the source of the inheritance. Fathers leave an inheritance to their children. It's not vice versa. God's the giver. All through this passage, he is the fountain. God is the one overflowing with gifts. And at every point we are receivers of mercy, new birth, resurrection, and this inheritance. You see, Peter causes us to think about not just the things that are here and now, but the things that are to come. He's writing this to people who are struggling, who are in pain, who are being persecuted, and he wants to point them to the future. One day they'll be with God in his perfect place in heaven where there is no hurt and there is no persecution. You see, the Jews of the time could well have been annoyed and thought that God had broken promises. The promise, of course, to the Jews was a promise of land, of people, and blessings. But the land is overrun with the Romans, the people are scattered, and the temple is torn down. So Peter reminds them that there are still things to be fulfilled. And they won't be fully fulfilled until Christ returns. There are things in heaven which await us. An inheritance that we don't have now, we don't possess now, but one day we will possess. Now, I've never really inherited very much. Um, I own a few of my granddad's ties a stone vase of my grandma. And um, I think the most valuable thing I own is, is a watch my granddad on its head. But all of these things will, will fade, will break, will decay, and won't last. And when I spoke to Steve, he told me this is a story of an inheritance he received, and he, 
said he spent it on a car. Now, if you ask Steve where the car is now, he probably wouldn't be able to tell us. It's probably in a scrap heap somewhere, rusted, decayed, and gone. And even my brother, he has received an inheritance, not above me, I must say, it's through his wife. He has invested that in a house, but that house one day eventually will decay. It may depreciate, it may, given that it's built in a steep hill in Sheffield, may slide away one day down the hill. You see, the things uh, that we inherit in this earth are still temporary. And we haven't inherited and received all that we are to receive as a Christian. We still face tough times now. That's especially hard for us to think at this point. We need to know that because of her faith and trust in her God, Helen will receive that inheritance that she will be in a place where there is no suffering and pain. The um, third truth that Peter expresses and shows us here in this is in the present. And if you read verse 5, it says, Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the, sal- in the last time. Peter is saying that here and now, today, God guards our salvation. He guards our heart. At the time this was written to the people it was written to, I'm told that olive trees were planted, and they were planted... Um, as a way of passing on an inheritance to children. So you plant the olive tree. Um, it would take many, many years to mature. And so when the children grew up and inherited the land and took the land, they would reap the benefits of the olive tree. Now, an invading army, if they came in, one of the first things they would do would be to, to chop these olive trees down to take away that inheritance. So the people of the land, they knew what it was like to lose an inheritance. But you see here, this is not what Peter's saying about our inheritance in heaven. Far from. He says, who by God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation. You see, it's almost as if Peter's saying, Those olive trees are ring-fenced by the power of God that no invading army may come in and and chop them down. I think what Peter's not saying is that we'll be immune to hurt or suffering or pain or the evil in this world. But that which is most important, our salvation will be protected through our faith.
I know um, from having been in a home group with Helen that when times were hardest, she would still say that she put her faith and trust in God and look to him for salvation. I believe that's God's way of guarding that for her. And we read this morning in Psalm 31, a similar situation for David. In Psalm 31, it said these things, David speaks these things. He asks of God, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. He faced trouble and suffering. But he's able to say, Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was a besieged city. You see, for David, it was not easy. But he was secure in the knowledge that God held him and protected him. And it is the same here, Peter says, that is to cause us to say, blessed be you, God, for keeping and guarding that salvation for us. So, in conclusion, I hope we were able to praise and worship God through seeing these truths through knowing that he has given his new life in the past. He has secured a future for us in heaven. And now in this life, he guards that for us. However, with any inheritance, there is, of course, a cost. With any inheritance, it involves someone and quite often someone you love and is close to you dying. And that is, there's no, defi- no different with this for us. It is only through the death of Jesus Christ that we are guaranteed this inheritance and these gifts. And this is what we remember with communion. As soon as we come to a close, I like us to think about how we approach communion. With the bread and wine, we remember the death of Jesus Christ, and he takes our sin away. And it almost is like he is like Mr. Lacoste. He looks on us and says, you are beautiful. But it also provides more to be thankful for. And so, as we come this evening, it might be that you're here tonight and you bring a, bread, a burden that you may need to remember that Jesus already done for you what needs to be done. It might be that you'll use this time in communion as a time to give thanks and praise that you are saved, sealed, and sure of that inheritance in heaven. Or maybe you're here and the idea that someone you don't even know yet was willing to die for you 
to grant you inheritance, and that is a totally new idea. And that is fine, and I'd encourage you to speak to someone if that is you. But however we come, I hope it's in a way that we can give thanks and praise, and we can think, how good is God? And we can say, with all our heart, blessed be God, our Father. I'll finish there and close with a prayer. Father God, as we come to you this evening, we ask that we might come with a heart which is prepared to worship you wholly and truly. We thank you for the truth that you've died for us, that you secured a place in heaven for us, and that you were with us now. We pray that we might remember this and that you might pour out your blessings on us now as we approach communion. In your word we pray. Amen.